You guys can uh, be seated if you would like. I'm Mark, and uh, welcome today. Uh, I once had a uh, person with uh, letters in front of their name and after their name tell me that I lived in existence of uh, organized chaos. And um, I took that to mean that uh, I had a organized system that just other people couldn't quite understand. And uh, basically what, what it means is, uh, as far as things are going to plan, at least my plan, I seem to function extremely well. And, uh, but when that plan gets uh, sideways or sidetracked or goes up or down or whatever, anything that I don't perceive it should be going, uh, I get thrown into kind of a, a weird place. And uh, this week has been kind of a weird place. In fact, I felt like uh, uh, someone coming back after their funeral, you know. Uh, if you don't know, I was meant to be in Benin, Africa uh, this past uh, week or so, and I uh, Two weeks ago, uh, the a wise council called me up and prayed for me and said nice things for about me and all these kind of things and uh, wished me off and then I didn't go anywhere. And I walked around town and people go, kept on coming up to me like, you're not meant to be here. And I'm like, I know. And I'm trying to deal with it and, and uh, things like that. Uh, I heard we had record attendance last week because we... People, I guess the word got out I wasn't going to be here and, and stuff like that. So that, that's cool. I'm big. I can handle that. So, uh, but, I, I, you know, I don't know about you, but, but just personally, uh, you know, just when things don't go to plan, um, especially my plan, my plan, uh, that, that it, it, it's difficult to adjust. My mom likes to say uh, oftentimes about plans that uh, we as people make plans and, and God laughs. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't think he laughs in a malicious way, but just like, hey, yeah, you go ahead and make your plans and, and uh, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and, and uh, we'll see who wins. And uh, my, it's been my experience that God, God usually wins that, that battle. Uh, so this week has is, is, uh, been kind of a, a different kind of struggle for me. It's hard enough for me to, to break my normal pattern to go outside of it. And uh, then when I got the double change kind of thing going on and, you know, we had all our plans about series for the summer and, and all these kind of different things, everything just got thrown up uh, into the mix. And I really... Uh, was trying to figure out, you know, what God was trying to uh, do in this. And I remember with some embarrassment and, and anger, uh, I remember calling uh, the different people on Wise Council to let them know that I wouldn't be leaving when they thought I was going to be leaving. And uh, I was dealing with all a bunch of different kinds of, of feelings and things like that. And I called up the Gortneys and Amy Gortney answers the phone. And, uh, and I told her, and without pausing, uh, she says, wow, you know, maybe there's someone you're going to meet in two weeks when you're there that you wouldn't have met if you went down now. And I said, oh, she outfaithed me again. <laughs> 
I hate it when she does that. She always does that. And because uh, I'm sitting thinking, you know, I, I got, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, a plane's going to fall out of the air, you know, or, or something like that. And she's like on this positive track, like, well, you know, God's probably going to do something really, really cool uh, through this. And I just like, wow, you know, to, to be able to see the big picture of God is like just such a gift. And I think it's one of those things that distinguish uh, people who are uh, maybe uh, new in their journey um, and kind of wrapped up still in, in their own world and what their circumstance versus those who've been walking with the Lord for a lot of years and seen Him be repeatedly faithful and being able to say, wow, my circumstance is not what I want it to be, but God is, is bigger than my circumstance and and you know, I'm sure that he is doing something through this. I had a professor in college uh, who, who used to like to say, um, uh, he would say, there, there, are, there are no dumb questions. There are only dumb people who ask questions. And uh, I'm about to ask you a kind of a dumb rhetorical question. Uh, have you ever had something not go to plan. Yeah, really. I mean, yeah, it, 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 really. And, and uh, today, I, I, in this this week, I I was planning obviously on on talking about all my experiences in Benin, Africa, and the, and the people that I met, and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, I can't talk about that. Um, and uh, Eric uh, gave me thirty minutes to speak today, so. I had to come up with something else, right? You know, I couldn't tell you, well, I didn't go. I didn't sit down and praise God. You know, that kind of, that kind of thing, you know, just, and there had to be something more. So I'm like, God, you know, you know what, what, do, what do you want us to look into today? What, what do we need to experience? And I just like kept on coming up with a sentence when things don't go to plan. I mean, I don't know where that came from, but, but uh, it, it, it just did. You know, it's like, well, God, what? How, how do we respond? What is the biblical response when, when things do not go to plan? And, and, and all of us, we, we experience this on, on such a, a regular basis. Sometimes it's small, like not being able to go uh, on, a, on a trip or a global outreach uh, trip uh, in the time frame that we wanted to go. Sometimes it's really big things that... that uh, marriages aren't what you envision them to be, or or jobs aren't aren't what you thought they would be. You know, I mean, you think about it, and there's this little thing called a midlife crisis. You know, what is that? You know, what is a midlife crisis? Hey, it, it's basically people midlife. You didn't realize that from the from the from the title of it that that are looking at their life and, and seeing that there's a gap between what they expected and what the realities were. I mean, this is the constant struggle in life: is we we have these these expectations and then the gap between what really is and how many of us, those of us you know who are in midlife, you know, we we look at it and go, oh my gosh, you know. I thought I was meant to be, you know, rich like Bill Gates or, or 
influential like, like Bono or, or, you know, look like Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie or, or something like that. And, and, and we realize, wow, you know, I, I, I have a pretty regular job and I re- live a pretty regular life. And, and to start readjusting and saying, okay, what is my reality and and the and the readjusting of expectations but sometimes it's even larger than that it's it, uh the 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 midlife what i would call a lot of times is readjustment is truly a crisis how many of us you know people getting married in their 20s and and now in their 30s and 40s have been divorced or are facing divorce how many people thought that their children were, were going to be blessings and little angels all the time and they would always say please and, and thank you, but now somewhere along the line our sweet little children you know, took another path and they're being self-destructive through maybe their relationships or, or maybe... Uh, have got involved in drugs and alcohol, or maybe they're in, in prison and, and looking at that and just saying, it wasn't meant to be this way. This wasn't according to my plan. Yeah, sure, maybe I can, I can handle not being Bill Gates or Bono or, or, you know, beautiful person like Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie, but God, at least... Let my, my family be intact. At least let me have, you know, fun Thanksgiving dinners and, and Christmas mornings without arguments and, and, and people who are, I'm connected with and excited about. And as we go through life, we, we have this, this internal me kind of thing, like this is what I wanted it to be like. And this is not the way I expected life to be. For those of us who are followers of Christ, we face this in a real way every single day. Because we live in a broken and messy world where everything doesn't live up to expectation. Everything doesn't always turn out well. All things don't always happen and have a happy ending. Sometimes there's a lot of pain, a lot of personal pain and a lot of personal sacrifice that happens for the good of the larger picture. The, the good of what God is doing and what he is doing in all of humanity, in all of history. And really the, the distinguishing line between those of us who are babes in our faith and those of us who are not are, how do we handle these disappointments? How do we view these detours to our plan? How do... How do we wrap our minds around the pain and the hurt and the injustice? What do we do with it? How do we view it? 
Are we large enough? Is our faith large enough? To take a step back at the personal sacrifice and the personal hurt and the personal pain and be able to utter the words that Jesus spoke in the garden. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Now the interesting thing is, you may be wondering, could there possibly be such a directive or narrative in the Bible? And, and the truth is, we could basically open up our Bibles and put our finger on any place and find a place where God was doing something and his people didn't quite get it yet. Didn't see the big picture. And when I opened up my Bible and I put my finger down, no, I gave it a little more thought than that, but uh, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't hard. Uh, God, God led me to Acts chapter 16, um, starting in verse 16. And this is uh, being written in the voice of Luke, uh, the same Luke, the medical doctor who wrote the gospel of Luke. And uh, he's hanging out with a guy named Paul and a guy named Silas. And this is what was going on. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, you know, I just get right there to that first comment. And I say, wow, these, these guys are doing what they're meant to be doing, right? I mean, they're going down to the place of prayer. They're, they're followers of Christ in the first century. How cool is that? They're going down to the place of prayer. And, and they're, they're going to pray to God. God likes prayer. And, and I'm sure that they're going to connect with people and tell them about Jesus. They're, these guys are on track. That They got their plan. It's a good plan. And I bet every single one of us would say that's, that's what they should be doing. And as they were doing that, this is what happened. They, they met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Basically, she's like a hype man for Paul and Silas and Luke, you know, whoop, whoop, kind of, kind of thing. You know, but... but this went on for days and days and days, as we see in verse 18. This went on for on day after day until Paul got exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. I find this interesting. I don't know. The day after day kind of thing of, oh, you know, these men are here to tell you about how to get saved. You know, yelling that. And this went on for day after day after day. So Paul's sitting there and he finally gets exasperated. Notice his motivation for doing the right thing. It's like, I'm sick of it. Just shut up, demon. Get out of here. Not when he realized he was demon-possessed. Not anything like that. It went back, coming back to him and, and 
and his exasperation, he finally, in his humanness, called upon God, and God intervened, and the demon left. And this is when the whole story starts going sideways. Her master's hopes of wealth, her master's plan, they were planning on being wealthy. They were planning on getting a nice little Mediterranean home on the Sea of Galilee. Nice little uh, first century uh, uh, Sea-Doo kind of thing going on. And I mean, they had all their plans. They had it all. They, they, they had their work, you know, the little worker demon girl working. And they had it all, all, you know, a very good business plan. They had it all planned out. But now her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grab Paul and Silas and drag them before the authorities at the marketplace. I don't know what Luke was doing at this point. He's like, oh, yeah, Paul Silas shouldn't have done that. Hmm. Huh. But that's really not what we're talking about. Verse 20, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now, I just want to pause right there. Because so many times we read stuff like this, and we just gloss right over it. We're just like, yeah, Bible guys doing their Bible things and this kind of stuff, and it all works out in the end. What's the big deal? Okay, Paul and Silas, real guys, like you and me. They were going to the place of prayer, doing what they were meant to be doing, following Christ as best as they knew how, and on the way, little demon-possessed girl starts shouting and doing all her thing, and one moment of weakness and exasperation, great word, by the way, cast the demon out. And then they were stripped publicly, beaten, and thrown into prison. Let me personalize this for you. This morning, you drink your coffee that you bought from Red Eye, right? Okay. And, uh, and you're like, okay, gonna, I'm going to go to E3 and I'm going to come and raise my voice to you, God, today with, with other people in my church family. I'm going to Hopefully, Mark's going to be able to open up the Word of God, and, and, and I'm going to be challenged somehow, and, and maybe see you in a, in a, a different light, or, or see you bigger, and, and, and be challenged to, to give more of myself and trust you more. Maybe I'm going to come, and I'm going to serve, or give, or love, or, or what all, you know, all the best intentions. So, 
you, you finish up your coffee and you, you get in your, your car or your scooter or whatever you, you know, use to get here and you're on your way and, and something happens and through that you get in trouble. And you're pulled in front of a bunch of people that you don't know in a crowded place and you are literally stripped of your clothes. You're naked in front of everybody. But not only are you naked, they start to beat you with rods. Again and again and again. But after that, they don't just leave you there and say, let that be a lesson to you. No. They take you and they throw you into prison. And not the nice outer prison, like the white-collar prison. They throw you into the inner prison. Now, if you can actually today, well, not today, but you could plan on actually going and visit this actual prison that we're talking about. It's a real place that you can go. And they've excavated it, and, and, and you can go, and you can see the, the outer prison where kind of the white-collar guys were, and there's windows, uh, not big windows where they could run out, but there's windows so there was air that would come in and out like air does. And so there's a little bit of fresh air. I mean, it wasn't a great place, but I mean, it was, it was okay. That's not where Paul and Silas got put, no. They got put into the inner prison, and if you were there, you would walk past that, and you would find that basically it's carved out of stone and where there's no windows and there's no ventilation and there's no indoor plumbing. And you would be crammed in there, naked and beaten, and then shackled. And basically, the shackles that they're talking about, the way they did it, the the Romans did it, was there was five holes. One, two for your legs, one, two for your arms, one for your head. So Paul and Silas on their way to do what they are meant to be doing, get stripped naked, beaten, thrown into the inner prison where there was no ventilation, no indoor plumbing, just a bunch of other prisoners, and they're sitting in the complete darkness in filth, and stench. This is the reality of what they were experiencing. I don't know about you, and I'm just going to be totally open with you guys. At this point, I'd be pretty upset. My whole organized chaos theory kind of thing, totally gone sideways. I'm not happy with God or anybody around me. What happened? Verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
and the other prisoners were listening. Really? I mean, really? You and me, stripped naked, beaten, thrown in the any inner stinky prison thingy. Wow. I think this tell, says something about how they viewed God and how we should view God. Their circumstance stinks. It's not good. They have no idea what's going to happen. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not good. None of those things. It's bad. It's awful. This is a low point. And what do they do? They pray and they sing hymns to God. Must commu- that must say something about them. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains fell off yeah, the pri- fell off all the prisoners. That's not how it was written, but that's how I'm saying it. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. To me, I see that as a sign I escaped, right? We're off. I sang my hymns, I did my prayer, and God made an earthquake, doors fell open, I care about myself, I'm gone, right? Not Paul and Silas, they're like Amy Gortney. <laughs> she would have stayed there. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Real guy, understanding that, you know what? He has just disgraced his position. He's disgraced his family. He has allowed the prisoners to escape, especially the ones that he was told not to escape under any circumstance. And instead of facing the humiliation of a trial, he's just going to end it right there. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and he ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Well, obviously he knew why these men were brought to him. He knew what was going on I'm sure he heard them singing and praying to God. Naked, beaten in the inner prison in the stench and the darkness. He's probably wondering to himself, these guys are crazy. But now something is happening. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. His household was connected to the prison in those days. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. 
Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before him, them. And he and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to the jailer. Let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, Hey, the city officials have said you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. If I ask you what the most miraculous part of this story is, you may say the earthquake. You may say the, the singing. You... You may say the, the, the healing of the demon-possessed girl. But to me, one of the most amazing things about this story is how Paul and Silas responded to their circumstance. You see, what happened to them wasn't fair, it wasn't fun, it wasn't right, it wasn't according to their plan. And I think it's really hard for us to contextualize because so often we in the 21st century, as followers of Christ, have this idea that, that it's all about me and my comfort and my pleasure, and my dreams. That God always is going to work it out for me in the end. That it's going to be all good. But I look at this story, and I wonder, Was this good for Paul and Silas? Was it good for them to be stripped naked and beaten and thrown into a dungeon? Was that personally good for them? Was that did that prosper them? These were horrible things. That happened to them. And when I read the context of this story, what I see is God saying, you know what, this is ultimately for my good and my, the story that I am telling throughout history. And really, Paul and Silas went through all of that for the opportunity to share the good news, the gospel, that that the jailer and his family had the opportunity to have a personal relationship with their creator. You see, what happened to them had everything to do with God and him pursuing a particular family. And Paul and Silas were the conduits of that love and grace. And the most amazing thing about this story is to me is that they were cool with that. 
they were okay to have bad things happen to them so God could be glorified. And I just wonder how many of us could say that. Really. I mean, I'm just being truthful. How many of us have that large of faith, have that deep of an experience and relationship with God that when the worst things in life happen, we are able to say, God, I don't want this, I don't understand it, but I'm going to praise you through it anyway. And even if it doesn't ultimately benefit me, I want you to continue using me as the conduit of your love and your grace and your kindness and to bring eventual redemption to the world. It is staggering the level of faith these two men had. And that is the faith that God is calling to us. Boy, I would love to tell you that every bad thing in your life will turn somehow magically into a fairy tale ending. But it's just not true. Sometimes there's hurt and there's pain. And God calls us to transcend past our circumstance and to trust Him that He is doing something larger. And the hard thing is, sometimes we won't even see it. You see, God, we are part of a story. We are part of something that God is doing. And some of us are a sentence in the story. Some of us are a paragraph. Some of us are a chapter. But our opportunity is to be part of something that God is doing. And sometimes that requires sacrifice and personal pain. And God asks us to trust Him in that circumstance. Because this is what I can tell you. The Bible says that all things work together for good for those who love Him. Now that has been twisted every which way to Sunday. But the reality is that God moves everything together for good. It might not necessarily be your immediate circumstantial good, but I can tell you that it will ultimately be for the good. Bringing to conclusion the greatest story ever told. And having our lives mean something because we were part of that story.
Let me circle back. Can we, will we, is it even possible for us to be like the one we follow? To get on our knees and say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Do we trust God that way? Let's pray. Dear God, bad stuff happens, hurt, pain, plans go sideways. Sometimes those are small plans, sometimes those are huge plans. God, I just pray for each and every one of us to be able to transcend whatever circumstance that we have faced, are facing, or will face, to be able to transcend that and to have a larger view like Paul and Silas of what you are doing to trust you in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our disgust, in the midst of our doubt, to look up and say, God, I don't know what you're doing. But I trust that you will use this for your glory. And I am here to serve you. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.